0: So Acts chapter 15 from verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they travelled throughout Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, "'The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses.' the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that even that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath.
1: Good evening, everyone. My name's Jeff. Great to be with you. To become an Australian citizen, uh, you have to meet certain requirements there 's the residence requirement. You have to have lived in Australia for uh, over four years. You must be of good character uh, to be an Australian, apparently. Uh, you need to get over 75% in a citizenship test. Uh, And to do that, you need a kind of basic working knowledge of English. To join the Melbourne Cricket Club, the MCC members, you need to meet certain requirements. Uh, There are currently 205,000 people on the waiting list. And to join them in line, you need to get two current members to nominate you and then you pay the fee, of course, and uh, then once you kind of hit the front of the line, um, you're let in and dress standards apply. To gain entry into a Mormon temple, there are certain requirements you need to meet. You need to pass a worthiness interview. Uh, That interview asks you questions about uh, what you believe. They also... Uh, ask you about your attendance at Mormon gatherings and about whether you're paying the full amount to their organisation. We're used to seeing entry requirements. uh, Out there in our world, in religions, there are these entry requirements. But what are the entry requirements for becoming a Christian? Chapter 15 is the story of the first church, Uh, working out an answer to that question. What are the requirements we will place on people joining the church? Now, you might be sitting there, you might already know the answer to that question, uh, but I want you to come with us, have a look, uh, see how they work this out in Acts 15, because it tells us something essential about ourselves, about who we are if we're part of the church. Uh, It's going to tell us something about how we're meant to treat each other, about how, how you fit in here. It'll tell us um, how we're to think about new people coming in. And it all comes out of the question of what are the entry requirements going to be? Because the entry requirements that you put on something tell you about that thing. Uh, it tells you something about Australia, that we have those requirements for our citizens. It tells you something about how exclusive the MCC is because they have a particular way of getting in. Uh, When we come to this chapter, uh, we can break down this incident into three parts. It starts off with a troubling question and then a unified discussion that takes place afterwards and finally, a loving consideration. There are three parts as we go through. A troubling question, a unified discussion and a loving consideration. And the whole situation just comes out of success, really. Uh, the first Gentile mission, which we saw last week in Acts chapters 13 and 14, uh, is a raging success. They uh, go around, church plants have taken off. Um, there's a group of women organising the Antioch Women's Convention as we speak. Uh, things are happening, uh, people are responding to the gospel. But the new believers are Gentiles and not just Jews. And uh, that's important because the difference between Jew and Gentile is like chalk and cheese. Uh, What they ate, uh, what they wore, where they shopped, all those things were completely different. They were separate and they were separate on purpose. Uh, The Jews had uh, all these differences to mark them out as God's special people. And most of all, they had circumcision. Circumcision. Uh, That was the key entry requirement uh, into Judaism. And so the success of the Gentile mission has raised this troubling question there in chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, Certain people came down from Judea, so, so Jews from Judea came to Antioch, this Gentile region, and were teaching the believers unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So, Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. That's the question Is it necessary to be circumcised if you want to be a Christian? Is it a you must? Is it a unless you do this? Is it true that unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved? Because uh, after what Paul and Barnabas have done to to share the gospel, there's a lot of uncircumcised guys out there who think they are saved without being circumcised. So what's the deal? And it's a troubling question because it has to do with salvation. Uh, Salvation depends on this, uh, on whether or not you have to do these uh, customs, these these rituals, uh, or not. The very nature of salvation is at stake here. And so these men have come and brought this idea that you, you need to do this extra stuff. But I think it's, it's too easy for us, uh, from a distance, to look at, at that group from the Pharisees and, and just shake our heads and say, how did they mess it up, get it so wrong, and kind of judge them for that attitude. Because in reality, they're not trying to keep anyone out. Uh, they're, they're happy for the, the Gentiles to come in. They just, they just want God to be honoured, right? Uh, if you want to be a Christian, you need to keep the law too. That's what they're saying. And this is, this is the law that, that God's had in place for, for centuries upon centuries. These customs and, and these laws are so connected for them to what it means to please God. And so they want others to do it as well. It's just part of their, their culture. And so it's worth us reflecting on it and asking the same kind of question. If, if we do that in our Christian culture, are there things that we insist on that are, in the end, just cultural things. Things that we make into a you must or an unless you. You must be part of a hub group. Otherwise, how can you be a Christian? You must go to CU. You must go to NYC. Let me tell you, those things aren't essential. You don't have to do that. You really don't. Salvation does not depend on those cultural things that we do. Church doesn't have to be on Sundays. You're allowed to get a tattoo. Uh, You don't have to uh, wear a college shirt to preach. You can wear a T-shirt. None of it is a you must. None of it is an unless you do this. You can't be Christian. Now, we might not... Uh, come out and say that that stuff's necessary to be saved, but we do kind of make it so ingrained, so much part of our church culture, that we can get like the Pharisee believers here in Acts, and and you can't imagine someone being saved unless they meet this requirement. Like, what if someone came to, to uni Church and they couldn't read? I've, I've been to church with a guy who's functionally illiterate. How... How would you respond? What would you think? Oh, no, you've got to read. How else do you do Bible study? How else are you going to be a Christian? But if you add a you must or an unless you, we undermine something of the nature of salvation. It's a troubling question. And so they take it to Jerusalem. Uh, the church decides, uh, the church in Antioch decides this is a big enough issue that we need to uh, take it to the apostles and elders Jerusalem. and They have a meeting that's known as the Jerusalem Council there in 49 AD. And the thing about this council is that it's a unified discussion. That's our our second phase of this this, uh, passage. Uh, They hear from three sets of speakers and they all contribute something different but they all uh, find the same God at work. So have a look. Uh, First Peter speaks there in verse 7. And he points back to uh, his connection with Cornelius, this uh, Gentile man in his household and how he he shared the gospel with them and they believed. And more than that, uh, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the sign of God's acceptance. And so he makes this connection, this connection between us and them. Us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles. Uh, Have a look there in verse 8. He says, God, who knows the heart, Showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. Verse 9, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And verse 11, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Just the same, us and them. God has treated us equally, the Spirit equally, us and them. Faith in their hearts equally, us and them. Salvation by grace equally, us and them. It's a powerful speech. He really hits the issue. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. makes Uh, The same kind of connection, but in a social sense, uh, in his famous I Have a Dream speech, uh, this is one line from it. He says, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Uh, He looks out and he says, God makes no distinction between black and white. Uh, He's making the, the point socially, but... Peter makes the point in connection to God. God has saved Jew and Gentile the same way, by grace, freely. And so how is it right to burden them with the law? Uh, That's Peter's contribution. Next we have uh, Paul and Barnabas. They point out the signs and wonders that God did uh, there in verse 12. um, Miracles that confirm uh, that God was at work among the Gentiles. Uh, these signs were like God's receipt, his, his ticket stub, to say that he was at work amongst these Gentiles. And finally, James stands up. Have a look there in verse 13. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, that is Simon Peter, uh, Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this. So his contribution is to put together uh, God's work among the Gentiles and make sense of it in light of God's word. So he's like a, a high court judge, he, uh, he considers the facts of the case and then he uh, holds that up against the, the words of the Constitution and then he makes a judgment. And, and that's what James is doing, he puts together uh, God's work and God's words and he says, this all makes sense. Have a look at, at Amos. He quotes Amos and he says that God's purpose was always to include the Gentiles. That's, uh, that's why he was going to restore David's uh, fallen line, to, to bring this king out of David's family so that others could be drawn in. And so he says, all this stuff that's been happening uh, with Paul and Barnabas and Peter, this all makes sense. And so verse 19, he says, it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the gentiles who are turning to God. He welcomes them in. It's a unified discussion. Together, uh, they see the work God is doing and they match it to the word of the prophets and they have no hesitation in welcoming in the gentiles as brothers and sisters without the law with no you must obligations put onto it. Uh, it's wonderful that they have that perception. And I think Uh, it's worth us reflecting on that, to ask that kind of a question. How open are we to seeing the work of God around us? Are we the kind of people who welcome others in, uh, especially when they're different to us? Uh, What about this? Imagine this scenario. What if uh, here at Union Church uh, we happen to see uh, a couple of people become Christian, uh, come to faith here at Union Church and... Uh, they happen to be from a Sudanese background, let's say, uh, kind of a background that's not well represented here at the moment. And what if a couple of them turns into uh, a few more, they invite uh, some friends and more become Christian? And what if a few turn into a lot and lots turns into a majority lots? Would we be open to that? to seeing the hand of God at work in that and welcoming it? Even if that meant that uh, lots of things changed, that our music was different, that our, our suppers changed completely. Or would there be things that we think that they ought to start doing? Cultural things that we'd expect of them uh, before we'd include them. Anything more than just that they trust in Jesus... So it's a good question to ask ourselves because uh, the Jerusalem church leaders had to come to grips with the fact that their, their church, right, was being overtaken by outsiders, people who were completely different to them, who ate differently, who celebrated differently, who washed differently. And they saw that and they decided it was okay, that that was God's grace at work in them, just as us. They've got that gospel vision to see God's hand at work. So we've seen the troubling question that uh, launches this all off, the the unified discussion that follows, and finally we come to the loving consideration. Because uh, just as James gives his judgment about including the Gentiles uh, without any obligations, uh, then he lists some obligations. uh, Or it certainly seems like that, doesn't it? Uh, Have a look there in verse 19. He says it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. So what's the deal? First he says we shouldn't make it difficult for them uh, but then he says wait here's a random set of four instructions uh, that we want you to keep. Uh, why give them these instructions and why these things in particular? Uh, well, we just need to dig into the text. Uh, the next verse gives the reason there in verse 21. It says, For, Here's the reason. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Uh, the reason has to do with how firmly embedded the Jewish culture is Uh, is all around them in the world. Uh, That uh, out in, even out in every Gentile city, we've got uh, Jewish people who've grown up with the law, who know it inside out, and it shapes everything they think about the Gentiles around them. And so it's out of loving consideration for those sensibilities that James wants these Gentile believers to act in this way. But why these four rules? They seem like a strange set. Uh, Well, it just so happens that you can find all four of these laws in Leviticus chapters 17 to 19. Again, puzzling. Uh, Why focus in on those chapters in particular? Uh, Well, those chapters are focused on uh, foreigners who live in Israel and how they ought to live. So uh, let's pick one verse. I'll um, read out... Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10 for you. Listen to this. Uh, God says, I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood and I'll cut them off from the people. See these things, eating blood, eating idle food, the particular kinds of sexual immorality that are listed in Leviticus Leviticus 18, uh, these were all distinctively pagan things to do. And so a Jewish person who'd grown up with the law of Moses would just find those associations so strong between these things and someone being cut off from God. So, um, you know, imagine you're, you're a Jewish follower uh, of Jesus. You've, you've seen that Jesus is the Messiah. You decide to become a Christian. Uh, and you go out with a, a Gentile believer out to dinner. And they sit there and they eat uh, little cubes of congealed blood. Uh, As well as being a bit ill, um, they're just there, kind of munching them down, right? And you just can't—you can't imagine it. You—you can't think of anything except this person must be cut off from God's people. And so, out of loving consideration, James says, "Let's just ask the Gentiles to skip that. (laughs) Uh, It won't be a big deal for them, and it'd make a huge difference." in helping Jewish people accept them as brothers and sisters. So let's just ask if they'd be willing to do that. Now, uh, maybe the Jewish believers feel the same way about circumcision and uncircumcision, that that makes you not one of God's people, cuts you off. Uh, Well, that may be the case, but the judgment is that we should not make it difficult for them. We shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles. So uh, the Jewish believers are just going to have to get over it. They're going to have to adjust their thinking and realise that salvation is by grace alone and they can't insist on the law. But these uh, four simple things are a loving consideration uh, to help them to get along, to connect together. Not in order to be saved, not a you must or an unless you. It's a a would you please. It's a you will do well to. That's exactly what it says in verse 29. You will do well to. So there we have it. Uh, the troubling question, the unified discussion and then the loving consideration. And as we wrap up, I want us to notice uh, two things. Uh, firstly, in terms of the Gospel, I want us to see that the Jerusalem Council are resolute. They, they are rock solid. It's Christ alone that saves. You don't need any other entry requirements other than faith in Jesus. And if you want to add a you must or an unless you, then we will take you on. We will not have it. And we need to be resolute as well. As a church, uni church, we need to be resolute on that. Because we're the risk, right? Uh, We're the ones who will add inadvertently maybe but who will add entry requirements onto the church and will think that we're doing something good, something godly by doing so. So imagine sometime into the future uh, and the syllabus of uh, Australian schools changes to include topics uh, that are deeply offensive to Christians. You can imagine that happening and uh, there's there's a reaction and, and churches kind of rail against it. And it would be tempting to say over time that unless you go to a Christian school, you cannot be saved. And it'll it'll look godly to say that. But we must be resolute. Salvation is by grace alone what Christ has done. In the Reformation period of the church, they came up with these uh, alone statements uh, to put these entry requirements in the simplest terms. They said, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Just the free gift of God. And we undermine that if we say anything is a you must. If we say you must give up smoking if you're going to call yourself a Christian. Or, unless you give each other presents at Christmas, uh, you can't be Christian. Those things are cultural, right? They They aren't a you must. This is how the reformer, Martin Luther, put it. He said, as concerning faith, we ought to be invincible. As concerning faith, we ought to be invincible. But as touching charity, we ought to be soft, and more flexible than the reed or leaf that is shaken with the wind and ready to yield to everything. See, that's uh, the second point. The first point is that we must be invincible when it comes to faith. But the second point is that we must be soft, flexible when it comes to love, uh, willing to change for the sake of others, ready to lay aside those cultural things in order to have fellowship with others and in order to welcome others in. In terms of faith, invincible. Touching charity, flexible. We actually want to shape our fellowship so it's easier for people to join us. We want to break down cultural barriers so that people can come and hear the great news of Jesus. That's part of the reason why we meet here on campus, uh, so that there's there's no kind of church-building cultural barriers. And there's a place that people come to ordinarily that they feel comfortable in and we want to welcome them in and say, have you heard about the good news of Jesus? And you see, uh, this is exactly what uh, Paul and the other apostles do, they're they're flexible when it comes to loving others. Uh, In fact, in the very next chapter, in chapter 16, uh, Paul is even willing to use circumcision, the very flashpoint issue, he's he's willing to use circumcision to connect uh, with people. He's not willing to use circumcision, to let circumcision become a you must, but he is very willing to use circumcision to open a door for the gospel. So that uh, when he wants to uh, visit some synagogues and and talk to them about Jesus, and he wants to take Timothy, whose father's a Greek, and and he would kind of be rejected, he says, Timothy, just get circumcised, let's go. Uh, Anything for the sake of opening a door for the gospel, Those two things. In terms of faith, invincible. Touching charity, flexible. And that's why uh, the Jerusalem Council was so important because by setting out uh, the entry requirements for the church, it defined them. It defined who they were. It defined them as a church built by grace alone. And it defined them as a people shaped by love, uh, willing uh, to give up, cultural things in order to connect with other people. Becoming a citizen of heaven is not like becoming a citizen of Australia. You don't need to pass uh, the moral character test. Becoming a member of God's family is not like becoming a member of the MCC. You don't need to be approved by other members to get in. And the Christian church is built entirely differently to the Mormon sect, which gives you a list of things that you must do to qualify. No, the church of Jesus is built by grace. Grace alone. There's not a bunch of hoops that you have to jump through. You come to Christ alone by faith alone. And then you join in loving consideration of others, that they might do the same thing, that even more people might feel comfortable to come in and hear about that wonderful grace of Jesus too. Uh, We're going to have time for some questions afterwards, but what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pause and pray. um, And then um, I'll open it up if you have any questions about this passage or the things we've talked about tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your wonderful grace to us in the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would protect us, keep us from uh, putting up cultural barriers uh, for other people, adding anything to the salvation that you've won won for us in the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that you would shape us as people who love others and are willing to lay aside cultural things for the sake of the gospel. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.